Parenting, where we explore the intersection of family, culture, and faith on behalf of the young. My name's Chap Clark, and I'm your host. This is Parenting. We're beginning a three-part series on the essence of growing up. What does it mean to move through childhood into adolescence what we call emerging adulthood, and finally land as an adult still needing to grow and develop. We're going to explore the three basic tasks before we kind of head in to our uh, topics of uh, family, culture, and faith. This is just more universal. Whether you're a parent, uh, your teacher, your youth worker, your grandparent, whatever role you play in the lives of kids, uh, this podcast will be beneficial to you. And please write me at um, chapclark.com and let me know what you think and if you have any questions. This three-week series is on uh, the child, three tasks of the child, uh, the search for identity, uh, the search for autonomy or a sense of purpose, and lastly, belonging. Identity, autonomy, purpose, and belonging. These are the three essence of what it means to be human and to grow into that interdependent place of being an adult in the community. So this is important if you have a three-year-old or a 15-year-old you're dealing with, or even you're working with people in their 20s, you're Gen Z, you're a boss of Gen Zers and you're just trying to understand them. So this week we're going to be looking at uh, the child and their identity, search for the self. You can see the notes and some resources on the website, chapclark.com. But for now, let's just take a few minutes to think through what this issue of identity is. And what does it mean to search for the self? First, what is the search for the self? Well, over the course of my career, I've spent a lifetime trying to understand children, teenagers, young adults, in order to make sure that I let the rest of us know what they need on behalf of their thriving. How how can we be aware of what it means to grow up in a vastly changing world that has been for so long? Um, I spent a lot of time actually with them in a variety of settings, but one of the things that I've done historically at the permission of the school districts that I've worked with is to be a substitute teacher on campus just about every day and build relationships with kids. Out of that was a book called Hurt, and then her 2.0, the second edition, Inside the World of Today's Teenagers. Well, while I was doing that, I got over a thousand notes, letters, poems, and songs from kids, high school students, who would present in one way and then write me these notes in a totally different way. Um, Then I got to talking to them more intimately as they wanted to sit around and share at lunchtime or Anytime we could just be at a ball game and and chat. And one kid told me kind of starkly, really angry with his parents because they'd stormed out of the house and came to the ball game. And and he said they just don't they don't get it. And I and I tried to explore what he meant by that. And this 15 year old said I I just had to let them know that they think they know me, but they don't know me. And then he paused and looked at me and said. That's because I don't even know myself. How, if I don't know myself, how can they know me and they tell me who I am all the time? But it doesn't 
it doesn't stick. It's not something that I like. I hate it, in fact, because I am always having to live up to what the words that they place on me. What is this quest for identity? Well, another uh, one of the letters that I got from a teenager, this is what one kid said, one note. Uh, Everybody knows who I am, and they tell me all the time. My mom knows I'm a good kid. My dad says I'm lazy, but a natural athlete. My teachers tell me I'm smart, but I don't care enough to live up to my potential. My friends think I'm funny. Girls think I'm shy. I think I'm all of those and none of those. Who the heck am I? I'm everything to everybody and nobody to me. This is a note from a high school student, Anonymous. And uh, boy, it reflected just about everything I've heard and seen in the lives of teenagers for the last 20 plus years is trying to understand who they are when so many voices are telling them who they are. And on the inside, they're just not really sure. Well, they'd know, though, that they have to land on somebody. They need to come to a conclusion that says, this is me. And so this is a search that goes on um, all the way from the time they're little children this search for the self, for my identity. And that goes on and it becomes much more at the front burner when they're in junior high and especially high school, college, where they're uh, trying out different selves and ultimately to land on one as an emerging adult, but, but not necessarily hanging in there with that one sense of self. And the angst that so many feel is right at the heart of this issue of who am I? What is my identity? So that leads us to the second thing that I want to just spend a few minutes on, is how does the whole process work internally for them? What, what, what is going on? Well, we all are in a constant state of kind of assessing the messages around us and comparing those messages for, through the lens of who we think we are. It's called a psychosocial process psychologically how do i see myself this is a little simplistic but it gets to the core of what we're talking about and sociologically it's how do others see me it's actually never that it's how do i interpret that others see me so i'm always on the lookout as a child i don't really have the filters to do this kind of reflectively but i'm just responding all the time to the messages around me And then trying to be true to whatever self that's there. So as a child, I'm just, I'm living from this authentic place of not knowing what the heck's going on. Then I hit about 11 or so, and and I move into a new stage of brain development where my brain is beginning to try to put together the bits of data that I've collected over the years. And from roughly 11 to 14 or so, this is a period where I'm preparing myself for what's called abstraction, for moving from the concrete of child, receiving data and experiences, and then just living my life. Who am I as a child? I'm the kid that everybody tells me, I'm. here's where I live, here are my parents, here's where I go to school, here's what I like to do. That's my identity. But then I hit 11 to 14 or so, and I've got to... I got to deal with the fact that I know it's much deeper than that because I got to I got to wander the halls of the classroom. I've got to sit in a Sunday school class. I got to be somehow at a family event. And I got to be somebody and and yet 
I'm now hearing those messages a little more clearly. So the pressure on me to determine who I am and what do people think of me. Then I hit the beginning of abstraction right around 14, 15, right around ninth grade. And um, I, I begin to realize that I've got to make some choices. I got to decide who I'm going to be in a variety of social settings. It's even true from one class to another. And during that period, for literally five to 10 years, I try on a lot of different selves. And when I try on a lot of different selves, what I'm ending up doing is I, I'm one student. Try this. If you've uh, ever been around a parent-teacher conference in high school, it's almost just a really weird thing because one teacher will describe your kid as, oh, quiet, committed, really gracious, wonderful to be with. And a, another teacher will, will, you know, have a restraining order on your kid and, and not like them. And it's the same child, but he literally is playing two different selves through the process. Um, well, when it comes down to it, as we have the psychosocial reality of determining who we are, the search for authentic self, what ends up happening is the bits of data that we have is one's external and the other's internal. I already kind of talked about this. But let's really focus in on how we shape young people, whether we're parents, grandparents, coaches, teachers, youth workers, therapists, whatever role we play with them. The external ways that we can reinforce or try to help a kid in their search for the self, in their identity as they grow up, is by somehow pointing out to them what we see. And it almost always is related to something that they're good at, something that um, we have recognized that other people see it, they're good at. Oh, you're funny. Oh, you're, you're really good one-on-one. Oh, you could be an engineer. Oh, you're a great athlete. Oh, whatever the list is, you really sing well. And what we do when we reinforce all these externals, they're not bad at all. And the motives are usually fantastic. We want to help. Is how a young person sees this is, oh, so this teacher says, oh, I did a good job in this on this paper that I wrote, and my penmanship's great in fourth grade. So what I realize is not that at essence I'm a good I'm a good artist, but what it says is this is a way I can get somebody to notice me when I really have a hard time trying to figure out how to do that. And so if I can figure out what the game is, if I can figure out how to get them to say that over and over, oh, you're really a good student, oh, you're really smart, then the average student and the vast majority will learn how to play to those voices. In fact, uh, Denise Clark Pope at Stanford has done some great work on this in an educational system and what they've determined in their research is that our best students are actually not necessarily our smartest kids, and usually they're not. Our, our best academic students are the ones that have learned to adapt to the expectations of adults around them. They're our best adapters. You know, and that's, that's really true, uh, just across the board. Kid learns that they're going to get more playing time or more accolades from the coach or the parents or the grandparents because they play pretty good shortstop 
then they're going to work harder playing pretty good shortstop. And it's not just putting the hours in, it's putting the emotional energy in to say, this is who I am and I get praise for it and I like myself when people tell me I'm a good athlete. I remember sitting with this one teenage girl who uh, was a great soccer player and looked for a D1 scholarship and we'd become kind of friends at our time at this high school we are spending time with and and she blew out her knee in a game, and it was a serious enough injury that uh, she probably would lose her scholarships. Well, we're sitting one day kind of just chatting, and she finally said, you know, the hardest part about this is, is now I'm a nobody. I was always known as a great soccer player, and everybody liked me, and then I could be fun and funny, and, but I knew at the core they liked me because I was a good athlete. And now I'm not. And I, I really don't know what to do with that because I'm literally a nobody. And all my friends don't really know what to do with it either because they had, they had somehow allowed me to fit into that box that I lived out. The ways that we externally honor and support young people, no matter really what age they are, I, I mean a, a 7-year-old or a 27-year-old, by praising the externals and what they're good at. Not bad, but if that's all they get, then they're constantly going to look for the external praising for them to determine who they are. And that is always a dead-end street because eventually we're going to get to the point where we're, never good, we're not good enough or we fail or we disappoint uh, or we come into major conflicts and we... We lose what ability we have to get other people to notice us. We, especially in this culture, we have to perform our way to blessing. The other source of data is that internal source of data that reminds us, no, we are not an athlete at core. My role, my identity is not the role I play. My identity is not the gifts I have. My identity is not the abilities I possess. Somehow there's a me underneath all of this, and that's true to the human condition. And if all I get is the external support for what I'm good at or going after it or being disciplined or a nice kid or whatever the, whatever the rubric is that come at me, even kids that act out and are really tough, that becomes a source of their identity because they're told this is who you are. So they, they grab that and internalize it. But that's because there's this gaping hole inside of us. Pascal said that hundreds of years ago. We all have this, this what he called it, a God-shaped hole. Well, that leads to the third thing. True identity for the healthy adult, the healthy teenager, young adult, is where I have become convinced that I truly am uniquely crafted I am on this earth with a unique place. I am I'm worthy of notice simply because who I am. I am, I am a, a person who at the core can settle into being glad for who I am, and I bring my unique self to the table. Henry Nowen, uh, a resident priest at a community for severely disabled people called Lars, wrote a long time ago, that the three basic ways we identify ourselves is I am what I do, I am what I control or have power over, and I am what others say. 
I am what I do, my performance, my gifts, my talents. I am what I control, what I have power over, uh, what I accumulate, my going up the ladder in business, my ways to get other people to notice me and to be able to hold on to that kind of control and power. And the third is, this is the most insidious, is I'm constantly captured by what others say about me. I, I listen to the voices of how they evaluate me for my identity, and yet I long for the deeper truth of who am I. And I do have to say this. There are so many people out there that, that love to talk negatively about teenagers and young adults trying to put the spotlight on themselves. Well, that's because they've lived in a culture that has not allowed them to explore the inner self so they felt comfortable and, and pleased with who they are. They just don't believe they're lovable or worthy. And therefore, we disparage them on social media and TV and a lot of other places where we just kind of take on the self-centered, egotistical generation. Um, well, I'm, I'm kind of up there now, and I don't think that ever goes away, this need to be settled in who I am. There are an awful lot of entitled 60 and 70 and 80-year-olds who just are not settled in who they are. But how do we help our young people? Well, now and now it's beautiful in this, Henry J. M. Nowen. And go to the website, chapclark.com, you'll see these resources. Is what he talks about is the answer to our identity is we are a unique self and we are beloved. Now, he claims that from a place of faith. And not, maybe not everybody listening to this is a person of faith. But for those of you that have a belief that there's a higher power, there's a God who cares that our identity is located within that unique and powerful relationship. I am the beloved of the Creator, and therefore I can stand tall and feel a sense of self in the middle of a world that's constantly trying to beat me down and label me and shove me in a box. Our kids have grown up in a culture where they really have not been given enough voices to help them to know who they are as the beloved so they can live out of that core place, not needing to grab the data and the accolades and the praise from others, but allowing themselves to be grateful and um and embrace the inner self. That every healthy person is a person that has a strong sense of self, that has a core sense of identity that's located not from the outside voices, but from that inner voice of love that says you're the beloved. So I've told you that uh, every podcast I'm going to be saying, I'm um, going to leave you the question, that identity is our search for the self and it's so insidious with all the external, even the positive ones, because what happens when I fail or I get my knee blown out in a soccer game or, or, or somebody gets mad at me and they, don't, they disparage me? What do I do as a young person or as anybody? Well, 
we need to have people in our lives. Research has shown we need a whole lot of people in our lives reinforcing the fact that we're the beloved. Um, now and also, Henry now writes in another book called Life of the Beloved, where he says, um, deep friendship is a calling forth of one another's belovedness. So what's the question? Is in your interaction with that one child you're on this podcast for, um, are you reinforcing their celebrating and embracing their belovedness in how you interact with them, how you look at them, how you listen to them? Or is it possible that the blessings we're given is, are based, is based on performance, conformity, image? Are we giving external messages that actually hinder kids? Or are we taking them to a deeper place of exploring their belovedness? Celebrating this unique life in this world who we are so grateful to know. This is Parenting. And I'm Chap Clark, your host. Please write us at chapclark.com. <laughs>